You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week we hear from student minister Chris Crow, who brings us a message on the importance of following God in justice, kindness, and humility. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that this message encourages you in loving and following Jesus. Good morning. I think it's uh, only appropriate with it being Youth Sunday that I start with um, a phrase that I had to say a lot three years ago when I first came in here as a youth minister. Um, this is a phrase that you really have to um, just get used to saying the first couple of weeks, months, um, even up to years after becoming a new youth minister. Um, I am not Jeff. <laughs> so I am not the, the guy who came before me. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not Jeff, but I'm really excited to be here uh, on this Youth Sunday to just share um, the Word of God uh, with you. Um, the past couple of weeks in, on Wednesday night with the youth, we have been um, talking about just all things Easter. Now, I know um, that Easter's over. Um, we're two weeks out, but I think it's important that, that we do this. So what we've been doing over the past couple weeks in youth is kind of studying through. Um, we started with a like just an overview of the Holy Week. Um, what we call the, the Holy Week is what we call the week between Palm Sunday um, the week before Easter, obviously, and the resurrection, Easter. And so we just broke it down day by day. We talked about what happened each day. Um, and we just studied, you know, what, what we celebrate as Christians during the Holy Week. So um, I think this is important for us to remember, uh, to dwell on, and, and to, to study. Because the resurrection, and I think you all know this, but um, it bears repeating, the resurrection is the most important uh, moment uh, in, in history of the world, especially for us as Christians, because without the resurrection, there is no hope. What we're doing here means nothing. Um, our lives, um, the things that we do, they mean nothing. Without the resurrection, there is no hope um, for um, salvation. And so we celebrate the resurrection because of how significant and how important and how pivotal it is in the history of the world. So we studied starting with the, the triumphal entry. That's what we celebrate on, on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem um, with an entry like a king. And then, um, you know, we, we talked about the days in between. Um, and then we get to Friday. And Friday is what we call Good Friday, the day before Easter. Or the Friday before Easter, it's when we study or, and, and celebrate the, the death and the burial of Jesus. Um, and then we get to Saturday and we celebrate the great Jerusalem egg hunt with our annual Easter egg hunt. Now, I don't want anybody leaving here um, thinking I truly believe there was an egg hunt in Jerusalem. Um, we do celebrate that um, on the Saturday before Easter, but that's just an opportunity for us to gather as family, um, celebrate the holiday, celebrate the joy that comes with Easter. Don't leave here thinking our youth minister is teaching our children and our students that there was an Easter egg in the Bible. I don't believe that, and I don't teach that. So just know that. Um, and then we get to, we get to Sunday. And Sunday's Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and this is the day that we gather together and we, and we celebrate the resurrection, and it is such a great day. Um, it is one of my favorite days of the year. It is one of my uh, favorite Sundays of the year. I, I just love Easter Sunday. And this is the normal schedule for Christians. This is the normal schedule for um, churches um, all over the world when it comes to this time um, this time of year, and I love the significance that surrounds it. We get really excited about Easter. We plan these big events. We invite lots of people, and we do all these things because we understand um, the importance of the Easter holiday, and we want as many people as possible to hear that message. And if, if we have people coming into our church, 
on a, on, a, on Easter Sunday, and that's the only time, that's the first time or the only time they've ever come into our church if they are hearing the message of the resurrection. That is the best start that you can get to a, a faith that's founded in Jesus Christ, where it all started, the, the, the resurrection. And so um, we, we celebrate this, and I, and I love it. It's the day that we give thanks for the most amazing gift that God has ever given us, um, the gift of, of salvation. So I know Easter's over. Like I said, we are two weeks out, um, and uh, we've already heard two Easter-related sermons. We, we talked about Easter on Easter, and then we talked about the road to Emmaus last week, which happened right afterwards, and a great message, um, wonderful message. Um, but I want to take a quick look at this trend that I see happening um, you know, all over the country, all over the world with Christians, um, myself included. I fall into this trend, but the trend of what happens often after Easter um, sometimes even the Monday after Easter is over. So here's the trend that I see a lot of churches and a lot of people, and myself included, fall into sometimes. We get excited. We invite lots of people. We, um, we get excited for these holidays like Christmas and Easter, and we plan these big events and these programs, and we celebrate. And don't get me wrong, I think that's great, and I think that's what we should be doing. But then the holiday is over, and Monday rolls around, and we get comfortable. Almost immediately, we get comfortable with where we're at. We get comfortable with um, our lives. We slide back into our day-to-day, into our week-to-week, into our month-to-month. And oftentimes, it's not until the next major holiday that we start to get excited again, that we start to, um, that, that livelihood, that joy starts to show back up in us. And that's why um, sometimes there's this kind of like joke, this running saying that we should end an Easter sermon with um, Happy Easter. I'm glad you guys are all here. For some of you, I will see you at Christmas. And that's kind of this, this thing that, that, um, that preachers, that, that ministers think. We're obviously not going to end the service like that. Like, that's not an appropriate way to end the service. But that's kind of the, the mindset that we see a lot of times in the, in the modern church, in our church today. Um, and, and so as I, as I start to look at this trend, um, this, this idea of getting comfortable after we get excited and we celebrate. And it kind of reminds me of something that we see in the Old Testament. So that's what I want to do today. I want to look at um, the Old Testament. I want to look at this. So we're going to be in the, in the book of Micah. We're going to be specifically in chapter 6. Um, so if you guys will go ahead and, and turn there, if you want to follow along, we're going to be um, in Micah 6 um, for most of the morning. But as we get started, I would love to just pray for us. So um, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this beautiful morning, for the opportunity to gather together um, to worship you. If Um, Nobody in this room has anything in common, Lord. We have you in common, and that's all that we need. Lord, that's why we're here. That's why we gather. Lord, I pray that you um, work through me, um, that you will help us to be open to the message that you have for us in Scripture, and that everything we do here this morning will be ultimately for your glory and for the advancement of of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when I read this passage that we're about to read, um, I kind of get this mental picture of a courtroom. So if you will, as we're reading this passage, kind of imagine um, yourself in this courtroom. And, you know, most times when you're in a courtroom and there's a trial going on, you've got two different sides. And so in this trial, in this courtroom, on one side we've got the nation of Israel, and on the other side we have God. And the reason for this trial is um, the nation of Israel has turned their back on God. God has done these amazing things. Um, He's helped them through so much, and the nation of Israel has turned their back. They've gotten comfortable. They've neglected what God has done for them, and God is kind of calling them out, and and, and he's he's bringing up his his argument against the nation of Israel. So as we get started on this passage, kind of put yourself mentally into this mindset of a courtroom and a trial. Um, So I'm going to start in verse 1, and it says this, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case uh, before the mountains, and let the hills hear 
Uh, hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you, uh, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So we open up, and we get the, uh, what, what is this case about? What is this trial all about? Um, the Lord has something to say about his people, about his chosen people, about the nation of Israel, and you need to listen up. So we get this opening to the, uh, opening to the trial, and then um, they kind of pass the mic on. God takes the stand. He's given the microphone, and here's what he has to say, starting in verse 3. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And then he goes on to, to explain the things that he has done. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt... And redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I set before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak the king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God steps up and he says, what have I done to you, Israel? How have I wearied you? What have I done? And in this passage, um, the nation of Israel is both interrogated and they're reminded, they're interrogated with the question, what have I done to you? Like, how have I wearied you? Um, you know, what, what's going on? What have I done to you? And then they're reminded of the great things that God has done for them. And essentially, God is saying, I did great things for you. I led you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I parted water so that you could pass safely. I kept you alive. I gave you these great leaders who would ultimately lead you to the promised land, a place of peace and prosperity and joy. And I've done all of these things because you are my people. Why have you turned your back on me? What have I done to you? Um, And then, in the middle of all this, he says, answer me. He demands a response. So just like in a court case, the other side gets a chance um, to plead their case, to, to make their statement. And, and here's what we get in verse 6. Here's how the nation of Israel responds to answer me. What have I done to you? Answer me. They say this, with what shall I come before you, Lord, and bow myself before uh, God on high. Shall I come uh, before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Uh, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sins of my soul? And the nation of Israel comes back with this response. And when I read this, I can't help but kind of read it with almost like a whiny voice. Like, God says, what have I done to you? And then the nation of Israel comes back and says, what do you want from me, God? Like, I get it. You did this and this and this, but what, do you, what can I do to make you happy? What have I, or what do you want from me? And, and no matter what um, their attitude is in this response, it's obvious by the next verse that they have missed the point in their response to what God had to say. Because um, in the very next verse, in Micah 6, 8, this is the verse that we're really going to focus on. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah answers here with the response. He steps in and he says, Oh, so... You've turned against God, and now you want to know what to do. And Micah says, he's already told you what to do. Just do this. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly uh, with your God. Now, I want to break this down a little bit, because what I think often happens is 
um, we get to this point where we start to get comfortable. We start to uh, turn away from God, whether we notice it or not. We start to neglect the things that he's done for us. And then when we have that feeling in our heart, like, what am I supposed to do? What, what does God, God, what do you want from me? We have that conviction. We almost wait for this sky-opening answer, this aha moment where God's going to give us an arrow that points us right in one direction. And oftentimes I think we forget to look in Scripture and, and seek um, the things that God would have from us. And, and, and we get an example of that here with um, just do this. Just do these things. So I want to break these things down so we can get a better idea of what that means. So we're going to start with do justice. What does this mean? What does it mean to do justice? Now, the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat, and I apologize for any Hebrew scholars in the room. I am not one, so I probably mispronounced that. Um, But uh, I do know this. Uh, It shows up in various forms over 200 times in in the Old Testament, and it means to treat people fairly regardless of their uh, race or their social status. To treat people, so don't treat people differently only because they are different. And I think oftentimes when we think of justice, we think of it in almost this like court type system where we look at two sides of justice. We look at justice as for the person who has been wronged, justice is getting what they're owed. Um, they get money, they get revenge, they get um, these things. So justice would be the person who was wronged getting what they deserve. And on the other side, justice is the person who has done wrong um, getting what they deserve. Um, Jail time, having to pay a fine, um, a penalty for what they've done. Um, You know, punishment fits the crime kind of thing. So we look at justice on two sides, but justice in the Bible is so much more um, than just the two-sided system that we see um, today. Uh, Author and pastor Tim Keller Um, He says that the biblical meaning of justice uh, is to be concerned about the most vulnerable, poor, and marginalized members of society, and I love this part, and to make long-term personal sacrifices in order to serve their interests, their needs, and their causes. Make long-term personal sacrifices in order to serve their interests, their needs, and their um, causes. Tim Weitzman, uh, he's a pastor and founder of the Justice Conference, he defines justice by saying that if truth is um, what is, then justice is is, is what ought to be. If truth is what is, then justice is what ought to be. So if truth is the way things are, if truth is the way that we see the world today, everything um, with its good and its bad, then justice is the way that God intended it. Justice would be bringing the world back to the way um, that God intended it to be. Um, And so doing justice is at the heart of following Christ, and we know this because I think we can all agree in this room that something that we need to be doing as Christians is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. I think we can all agree on that. Um, And if we look at the example of Jesus, um, this was at the core of who he was. He, He himself was concerned about the widows. He was concerned about the sick. He was concerned about the orphans. He was concerned about the poor. He was concerned about the people who could not help themselves. He was concerned uh, about the outsiders. He said that he came to renew all of creation, not just those who kind of had it together, not just those who um, were, you know, there on Sunday morning. He came to renew all of creation. Um, He came to restore us all. So if justice is what ought to be, and Jesus came to restore things to how they ought to be, then we ought to be doing everything we can to do justice in our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. We ought to line up with his mission to bring uh, restoration and peace um, to the whole world. So part two plays directly into this. We are to do justice, and then it says that we are to love 
kindness. And when I read this, this passage, I can't help but think about the book of Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We all know this passage from Galatians um, 5 in verse 22 and 23. It says, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we get this beautiful verse of um, essentially, if God is in you, if the Spirit of God is in you and working through you, these are the things that are going to flow out of you. And we get this picture of love and joy and peace and patience. And it's, it's not if God is in you, then you're going to be showing revenge and, and hatred and anger. No, it's, it's love and, and kindness and self-control and, and gentleness. And these are the beautiful things that flow out of us. And if we are truly living um, a lifestyle worthy of God, um, that says, Lord, I want to give everything to you, then we should not only be showing these things in our life, but we should love the fact that we are showing these things in our life. We should love the fact that everything that comes out of us, not because of who we are, but because of who we follow, um, lines up with this passage. Um, the idea of loving kindness is this picture of not wanting to present ourselves in any other manner because kindness has taken over the very core of our being. It's natural. It's, it's what happens naturally. And notice that Micah doesn't say or in this as if we have a choice. He doesn't say that you can choose. It's not multiple choice. You can either do justice or you can love kindness. He doesn't say or. It's, it's both and. You have to do both, and you can't do one with the, without the other. Um, when I think of this, when I think of the example of Jesus, the story that comes to mind is the story of um, the woman who was caught in adultery. And, and, you know, we've all heard this story there. There's a woman, and she is dragged out of her house. She is humiliated. She is thrown to the ground. And she has been surrounded by these people, these men, these religious leaders who have said, um, you know, you have sinned, and the punishment for this sin is death. And so they call her out, and they say, you have been found guilty of adultery, and this is the punishment. And they're surrounding him. And Jesus comes in in this moment, and he does two things. He does justice, and he loves kindness. And what I mean by that is he doesn't storm in, get in these guys' faces, spit at them, wave his fists, start throwing punches. He doesn't scream at them. He doesn't do that. He comes in, and he goes straight to the woman, and he gets down on her level. He kneels down, and he talks to her as, as a human. And after a little bit of talking, he turns around, and he simply says, if anyone here is without sin, then you can cast the first stone. And he reasoned with them, he pointed out that they are not perfect, that they are flawed, uh, sinful people, and they have no right to do this. And one by one, they dropped the stones and they walked away. And Jesus did this in a loving, kind manner. He did not come in seeking revenge, which is what I think we often confuse justice for. He did not come in um, angry. He came in desiring to see justice done in the situation out of love. And then he brought the woman and he said, go on. Sin no more. And through that, the gospel was spread. The kingdom was, was enhanced that day because of the way that Jesus handled a situation. And he handled it by doing justice and loving kindness. Loving kindness is the attitude, the heart behind the action of doing justice. They go hand in hand. You cannot truly do justice until you learn to love kindness, to love the fruit of the Spirit, um, to love the fact that those are what are coming from you. And then the third one, to walk humbly with our God. Now the message um, translate, 
translates the end of this verse, um, walk humbly with your God, as saying, um, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, take God seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And I love this because I think what happens is we often get into this mindset as, as Christians, as a church, um, and, and it happens to everyone, where we start to take church seriously, we start to take the building seriously, we start to take the tradition seriously, we start to take how we do things seriously, and through getting so focused on those things, we forget to take God seriously. And I think we see the Pharisees doing that in the Bible, and I think we see people still doing it today. Um, But through it all, God says, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Take me seriously. Take God seriously, because this is a a real thing that we're dealing with. Um, We live in a world of self-obsession. We live in a world where the mottos of our day could be, um, you do you, or whatever makes you happy, whatever works for you. And I want to say this today, I don't think this is just a problem with the younger generation. I think this is multi-generational. I think it spreads the entire span. And I don't think it's just this country. I think it's this world. I think it's the problem of sin in our world. And I could tell you uh, of plenty of youth that I've worked with who would drop everything to help somebody in need. And on the other side of it, I could tell you of somebody who's older who um, wouldn't, who, who would, if it didn't benefit their needs, they wouldn't do it. And I say that to say this, um, there are people out there who are doing this great, but it is not just one generation or the other. It is the problem of sin in this world. But countless times and in countless texts through scripture, we are called to live lives of humility and meekness. And that in and of itself means the absence of self. Doing things not to benefit you, doing things not because it makes you happy, but doing things because it serves the purpose of God. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Um, put God first. C.S. Lewis um, very famous author and Christian. Um, one of his most famous quotes is, true humility is um, not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. We are not called to put ourselves down. We are called to bring God up. We are called to make God the number one priority in our life. And then uh, John, uh, John the Baptist in John 3, um, 30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's the idea that God needs to be the number one priority um, in our lives. Number one overall, he needs to be the main thing in everything we do. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Put God first. Um, Because here's the thing. Um, Just as the ability to do justice flows out of a heart that loves kindness, um, the only way to tune our hearts to truly love kindness is to be walking a life um, in, uh, in humility with God. If we are not walking humbly with our God, we are not loving kindness. And if we are not loving kindness, we are not doing justice. So all three of these things come together to form this beautiful picture um, that we see in Micah. Uh, That is an answer to the question, what do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? I recognize what you've done. What do you want from me? Just do this. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly before your God. Now, I talked about Easter. I talked about how oftentimes we get to this trend that we see. We get to the end of the Easter holiday. Monday rolls around. We get comfortable, and we see how that relates to the nation of Israel. They knew what God had done for them. He had literally brought them into the promised land, and then they got comfortable. I think that's what we do. We get excited. We celebrate Easter. We get, you know, we we just get really excited about what that means, and then Monday rolls around, and, and we get comfortable, and we start to forget 
And, and sometimes we, we realize that and we start to ask ourselves, man, what do I need to do? How do I get back into this joy? How do I get back into how I felt two weeks ago on Easter when we were celebrating the resurrection? And here we have a perfect example of how we can start to do that. We start to live a life that exemplifies these things, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. And if we do that, we don't have to worry about the trend of up and down. We can daily be reminded to live a life that is glorifying to God because we are following his commands. So we're going to do a time of invitation here in a minute. And what I want to encourage you guys with, um, there are some people in this room who are still super excited about this whole Jesus thing, about Easter. It's still in their mind, and that's awesome. But I would pray and hope that that doesn't fade. I hope that that excitement and that, that mindset stays with you because our excitement for Jesus doesn't end when Easter's over. The resurrection still holds true today the same way it held true two weeks ago. So stay in that. And, and there's some people who have already started to get comfortable, who have already started to just move into that trend of the day-to-day. And my prayer for you would be that you would remember these things and live these things and live in the excitement that is Jesus Christ. And there are some people who have never been there. There might be some people in this room who have never fully had that excitement, had that understanding, had that joy. My prayer for you would be that you would start to to see that in your life, that you would understand the great things that God has done for you through the resurrection, and that you would live a life that was glorifying to him, and that would start with the foundation of doing these things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for um, this evening, or for this, after, uh, this morning, Lord. We, we pray for um, uh, an understanding, uh, a willing heart to do these things, Lord. We know that you um, do justice every day. We know that you love kindness every day. And, and Lord, we pray that we can walk humbly with you and do those things as well um, so that we don't lose the excitement of what you've done for us. We are daily reminded of the great things. Um, that you have done, and I pray that you will help us to do everything in our power to glorify you, to advance the kingdom, and to lead people um, to love and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.